heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network, the 4th of April. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across Rural Queensland Today. Uh, through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. So much to get through this morning. We're going to talk with David Littleproud. Marcus Barnard will join us. Simon Scanlon, the Head of Recruitment from the Brisbane Broncos, uh, a Warwick boy, and he will join us uh, to give us a snapshot of where their season is going and how they're rolling along. Uh, if you've missed any of our shows, you can always go to... Uh, Spotify and go to Rural Queensland today with Ben Dobbin and have a chat and we'll also catch up with me on email ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. David Littleproud joins us next. This is Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Tuesday morning the 4th of April. A huge show for you this morning but we're going to start it with the leader of the National Party David Littleproud. He joins us this morning. David good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Um, mate, can I just we, – we spoke with um, Samantha O'Toole yesterday um, and um, it was quite harrowing when we were talking to her about the the buyback of water um, off irrigators and through that town um, by the Labor government. Now, this was never ever one of their promises. This was never ever what, what they indicated, but we're talking billions of dollars out of the um, economic – um, commun- for the community and the economy in St George alone, I am very, very concerned. Tanya, Tanya Plibersek is unapologetic in in what she's doing. She's absolutely bow and kowtowing to the Greens. Yeah, mate, there, there's a level of nastiness in this. Uh, this was, The Murray-Darling Basin Plan, just to bring history into this, it was their plan. They created it and the plan was to recover 2,750 gigalitres. We've recovered over 2,100 gigalitres, which is about 80% of the plan. The last 20% of the plan can be delivered through infrastructure. And that was about the states building infrastructure, get water efficiencies, then hand the water back to the environment rather than taking off farmers. We had a buyback cap of 1,500 gigalitres, so the government couldn't buy any more because buybacks, they don't hurt farmers. They actually hurt the towns that are left behind because the farmer puts the money in the pocket and they go off. It's the it's the deal, the machinery dealer, it's the irrigation shop, it's the right down to the cafe owner because as you take water away, there's no jobs. Now what this mob's done is they're now saying Tanya Plabertek saying, well, we might let the states finish off those infrastructure projects because come June next year there's an expiry date, and if they haven't completed it, she's got the right to go and buy the last three, four hundred gigalitres with buybacks. But then the big kicker comes for St. George. This is the big kicker for Queensland. So we've recovered all our water with efficiency and buybacks. There's about 12 gigalitres which can be done efficiently and safely. But what the Labor government did before we took over in 13 is part of the legislation put in place uh, an additional 450 gigalitres. And that 450 gigalitres had something that the 2,750 didn't have a safeguard mechanism, a safeguard mechanism where you couldn't use buybacks if it, if it meant that there was social economic disadvantage. And no one can prove that. I was the water minister when that happened, and we actually put in place the safeguard where we got agreement with all the states, including South Australia. 
So even the South Australians agreed that the 450 was dangerous. It was dangerous to them. It was dangerous to everybody. But what Tanya Pobasek said, I'm going to ignore the agreement that I got with all the states to say that 450 can only be recovered if there's a safeguard. She wants to get rid of that safeguard and she's simply going to say, I'm going to go and buy that 450 gigalitres right up and down the basin. So from Queensland and particularly St George having to lose uh, the last piece, which is about 12 gigalitres, they are now potentially in the, in the firing line for this 450 gigalitres. That, that is equivalent to the Sydney Harbour. That is a lot of water to come out of rural Australia. And just to put this into perspective, if they do this all through buybacks, the the National Irrigators Council is telling us that that will take about 26% of agricultural production out of our country. This is what the the ideology of Tanya Plebisek, who is is just being, I've got to say, there's a a level of nastiness in this. And and I just, for the couple of seats they they already hold in, in Adelaide, and people in Adelaide don't even understand this, they are going to decimate regional Australia, but they'll decimate South Australia agriculture along with Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria. So, you know, Tanya Plebisek is going to ignore the states, ignore the agreement that they put in place. We couldn't change in, in Parliament because um, we've got too many Greens in the Senate. We tried to bring in um, legislation to blow up the 450 and we were, we were beaten in the Senate. So we really, we are really now at a crossroads where they have control of the lower house and now they have, they will have control of the Senate. We've tried to take David Pocock down to get him to understand because he is will be the casting vote. But this is this is going to destroy us. And I can tell you um, St George is in the firing line. So too is Dolby. So too uh, is Gundawindi. Every every town on the Murray Darling in Queensland that has irrigation is in the firing line well, and they what, need to understand. What part of David do they not understand? That we grow the food for the nation, we provide the fibre, the cotton, um, the vegetables, the, the wheat. Like, like, it's not like we're wasting water. We're actually no. growing produce for the nation. Like, that is the thing that is scary with this. We are, yeah. we, as an industry, and, we, and I don't want to have to go back to those dreadful times of COVID, but it became very evident back then when there was nothing on the shelves just how valuable the farmer was. And we have gone away from that. We have once again just forgotten. Our memories are so quick. Um, so I'm just not sure what is actually going on with this. In fact, I'm quite concerned. Well, well we all should be. Uh, I mean, this is an ideological ban uh, that Labor has to, to try and convince people in Adelaide that they're looking after them, giving them more water, which is nonsense. And it's about making sure that they can uh, stop the Greens from from getting ahead of them um, in yeah. a lot of these in a lot of these city seats. The reality is, there's also this physical constraint. This is what this is what people in Adelaide and people that that aren't invested in, in the Murray Darling Basin Plan don't understand. There's actually this thing called the Barmer Choke. It is a physical constraint, particularly for the water that comes from the Southern Basin and the additional 450 gigalitres they're trying to get. You physically can't get it. It's a physical constraint. It's where the river gets narrow on the Murray, and what happens is you can't you can't force the water through it. So for all that all these environmentalists are trying to do in saying we just want more water to go down through through the mouth of the Murray down in Adelaide, then what they don't understand is it physically can't be done, and you create perverse environmental outcomes by flooding by flooding areas down near the Barmer Choke that that actually destroys habitat. So for all the talk of the Greenies and, and the Labor Party, 
One, you're destroying agriculture, but two, you're actually having perverse environmental outcomes. That's not common sense. And we had a solution. In fact, when Tony Burke was my shadow when I was water minister, he actually, he and I were working to make sure that we'd finish this off. The 450 neutrality test meant that that extra 450 was finished and the last of the Murray-Darling Basin plan could be delivered through infrastructure. He agreed with me. And in fact, we were working closely to make sure that happened. As soon as tenure plebiscite comes in, it all falls apart. David Little Proud, our guest this morning. We'll take a break on rural Queensland today and come back with more. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Our guest is the National Party's leader, David Littleproud. He joins us this morning. Mate, let's quickly talk um, The Voice. Um, the government uh, introduced legislation on The Voice a few days ago. The national position still, the national's position still hasn't changed, and rightly so. No, and look, uh, it's only reaffirmed our position. We were able to get to a position earlier because this is a representative body. We've had a representative body before, and it didn't work. It was called ASIC. Uh, and so what we are, what we got to a position to be able to say no early was we don't believe in that. Another layer of bureaucracy will not close the gap. We've got over a thousand Indigenous representative bodies now to government as it stands at the moment, and their solution is to add another one. Uh, we don't need a bigger bureaucracy. We need a better bureaucracy. If the Prime Minister had come to the Nationals and said, well, let's give constitution, constitutional recognition in the, in the preamble, and that might look like uh, they were here first, we made some mistakes, uh, we're better together and we'll be better sticking together. Uh, I, I sense that my party room would support that wholeheartedly. But that's not the question that the Prime Minister is putting. When I've had that conversation with him, had he put that to us, then we would support it. But if it's now another layer of bureaucracy uh, is not going to close the gap. We need a better bureaucracy, not a bigger one. We need Canberra out because we have closed the, the disadvantage in some communities, but in others we haven't. And that's where you need to have those localised solutions where local council and and local elders design it and Canberra pays for it. That is where the solutions lie because, you know, it comes back to a key tenant as well, Dobbo, around the mechanism of the voice, is that there's a key tenant in this country. Every Australian is equal. And there are 227 voices for every Australian in that parliament. They're called the House of Representatives in the Senate. And proudly, this country has elected 11 Indigenous Australians. To, and they're not there to represent Indigenous Australians. They're there to represent all Australians. A lot, the of the of it. A lot of them aren't happy about it. A lot of them aren't happy. I've spoken to senior elders. They're very concerned about what – it's very much they feel it's politicking. Well, and this is the problem, is that the elders out in our local communities should be the ones that are empowered for their local communities because the practical reality is, is their representative will be hundreds uh, and probably thousands of kilometres away from where they live. Now, I believe that the elder in Kunnamulla should be empowered with a local council to devise those programs, as it should be in Charleville, not have someone that's thousands of kilometres away to represent them. They don't need to go to Canberra. Canberra needs to come to them, sit down with those elders in each of those communities with the local council to make sure that there's some governance there, not asking the council to pay for it, but to make sure that there's some oversight to help rolling out these programs. Because the program in Kunnamulla will be different to Wilcannia, as it'll be different to Wadair, as it'll be different to Alice Springs and Carnarvon. And that's what we're saying, is the elders in those communities are the ones that should have the power, not someone that's a 1,000 kilometres away and going to go to Canberra to try and devise a program for all of them no, you can't do that. That's where we failed in the past. We were repeating the mistakes of the past. And then we have genuine intent about closing the gap, but closing the gap looks like empowering local elders in local communities. Yeah. Um, 
You know what, it, it, it is such an important part and, and it's going to be very interesting to see. How do the numbers look, honestly? Because I don't know if it's the world I'm work, working, but, it, you know, it, it seems like at the moment it, it, it's not a clear-cut victory for the government. Well, look, yeah, I, I don't think many Australians know exactly what it is, as do many Indigenous Australians. In fact, many think it's a TV show. Um, that's that's as close as I understand they have. And this is where the government is is really trying to get this through on a vibe. And it's got to be more than a vibe because you're going to have lawyers at 100 paces on this. They've already said that, that this has far-reaching implications where one um, one cohort of our society will have a greater say on things than another. And that, as I said earlier, goes against a key tenet of our nation, that we're all equal. Uh, and that's what Parliament, uh, being an elected member of Parliament, should be able to do, no matter your colour, your race, your religion. And that's that's really um, the big challenge that I think Australians haven't understood this. I think that'll start to that'll start to change in the coming months. The question now is, we'll go through Parliament in probably about four or five weeks' time, and then the yes and no case will ramp up. But it's important, and we were able to get um, we were able to make sure that there is a yes and no pamphlet. And that's important because most Australians won't be engaged in this, but they'll get a pamphlet in the mail and they'll be able to understand the ramifications and all the all the issues around the voice will be given to them in a pamphlet. And that's important. But at this stage, I think most Australians are just going, well, look, with with genuine intent, we want to, we want to do the right thing by Indigenous Australians where there is disadvantage. We have, no one is against that. No matter who's disadvantaged, Australians want to help out. But there is unintended consequences of this that the nationals can't support, and we're just saying that. You, but when that information comes out, people should read it very, very carefully yeah. because well this is going. This is this is our birth birthing document. We need to make sure that if we change it, it's also our insurance policy against politicians, and we need to make sure that if you're going to change it, you've got to have a lot of confidence in what you're changing. Can I ask you quickly, um, the aged care services and the lack of aged cares in regions is very, very clear. Um, but there is a good story coming out of Bell in Queensland um, with Bell Carers. Can you just, you know, and this is where things are improving. Yeah, look, this is a, this is a cracking story, a cracking yarn. You know, the, the, the Bell community could just see that they were losing the elderly to Dolby and other places. They couldn't age in place. So what they did is, is basically looked outside the square and found a solution, a local solution, whereby um, they got a provider that could, it's basically like uh, setting up a, a, an, Uber, an Uber service, whereby um, if, you, if you're elderly and you can't clean your house or you can't um, drive the car or you need to go somewhere, you put, you, you put your, what you need up on the internet uh, and these providers, local people in town, come and do it. If they want someone to clean your house. So because they couldn't get um, anyone to be a, a provider because of the numbers for the whole town, it just meant every person in town that might want a little bit of extra work every now and then could say, okay, well, I can go and clean Jan's house uh, twice a week and pick up a bit of extra extra pocket money. Or I can I can get paid to drive Jim to, to Dolby twice a week to, to do his shopping, and I get paid for it. And, and so what it was was just a local solution where – whereby they devised it and then they got a provider that came along and was able to put the infrastructure around the, the technology and the local community rallied together so that the elderly were connected uh, to the community that were prepared to help and, and be financially rewarded for. Uh, and, and this was part could be used as part of their home care packages. 
So it just meant that it was a, a local town solution, each one looking after one another. And I think that's a, a shining example. Yeah. And it's now looking at other communities around Queensland, Western Australia, New South Wales, I've now adopted this where you can't get the in-care help in some of these smaller towns. And, and it just means that our elderly can age in place longer, closer to family. So Bell, you know, just showed the community spirit, came up with a local solution and good on them. Yeah, well said. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, mate. Good on you, David Littleproud. So much to get through. This is Rural Queensland Today. Marcus Barnard joins us next. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network across rural Queensland. It's Tuesday morning, the 4th of April. Now, many times I've talked over the last year around just the struggles that people have in the agricultural world of securing finance and the way forward. Meeting experts that understand your business and know what it takes to and back you and know what it takes if you say you're going to do something, trusts and believes it. A friend of mine for many, many years, we played rugby together at the Emerald Rams um, back in 1999 and he has since gone on and he's very, very well known throughout the agricultural sector here in Queensland and Australia is Marcus Barnard. He joins me this morning on Rural Queensland today. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, Ben. How are you? Really well. Um, you've started a business and it, it's not just today, but it's been running and and it, I pricked my ears as soon as I heard about it. Um, the company name is Synergy Business Finance and and obviously you focus on all different types from commercial assets, hotels, home finance, but you are specialising and specialised focus in agribusiness and it's the first I've heard of it actually as a, a mortgage broker as such, a, as, as such that specialises in agriculture finance. That's pretty bloody exciting. It is, and it's exciting for me. Like it's it's been um, like twenty five years in banking prior to this, so um, and I've always had a passion for, for agribusiness and see the struggles that they had. So um, just wanted to sort of structure something that I could do to uh, keep helping those people. For people that don't know this, in in, in the cities, and I use a, I, I use a mortgage broker and a finance broker for all my loans. I don't actually you go direct to the bank manager, but traditionally in, in the ag sector, we all went and had a relationship with our bank manager. You were one of them. You were an agribusiness manager for yeah. many many years, but. As the market got more competitive and the appetite got less for some companies to to focus on agriculture, you need to shop around and and that's and you need to have somebody that's not linked personally to one organisation because as as weird as this sounds, there's nothing wrong with changing banks. There's nothing wrong with refinancing. There's nothing wrong for being competitive and looking for that better rate. Correct. I couldn't agree more. And look. But- the skill base in some of the banks these days probably isn't where it wanted to be. Like you've got a good manager, but then they move on a couple of years later, so on and so forth, where the broker can get involved and negotiate those deals. But they're a business owner, so they're not going anywhere. They're going to be your effectively your banker or assist with uh, you and your banks um, over the you know decades. So you've got the one person that's dealing with your business for uh, a very long time as opposed to the traditional your bankers are changing every two or three years. So it's a weird thing because when we talk about our accountants, we always say, you know, you have an accountant and, and, and you build a relationship and they're a private firm. They're not they're not linked to a banking organisation. And so when you go to an accountancy firm, they know and they step through and they've seen your growth. It, it, it's quite smart and, and it's weird because we haven't had this kind of um, – 
I suppose, avenue for finance um, that, and with experts like yourself who have been involved um, in, in Queensland. So this is something that people listening to today, whether or not you're in Mount Isa, Cloncurry, wherever you are in the central, um, this is an opportunity for people. And it, the, the thing about it is, Marcus, that you like the hard accounts. That, that They're the ones that you, you can see it. Like it's not always as cut and dry as – no. And when you go to a, a bank at the moment and just through the economic climate at the moment, for whatever reason, their appetite to lend in the ag sector isn't what it used to be. That, that, that's that, that's not an unfair statement. But when the numbers are right and the relationships that you have and, and the trust that you've gained over many, many years in the ag sector, the blokes who you're talking to, they know if the numbers work. And you can actually say to your clients and, and and talk to them and say, hey, listen, that's not going to work before they go through all the rigmarole because we've all been through it, you've been through it, where you yeah. go on for six weeks, seven weeks, and then finally you get that no. You can do it just with one consultation and looking at the numbers, but you can also get a plan with them. That's it. That's the big difference. Like we might – like. Traditionally, you might get a no, but in this situation, we go, okay, that's not going to work this way, but how about we look at it from this avenue and that avenue? And there's plenty of different ways that we can look at it to, to structure something so it does work for that customer. I've long said that Toowoomba is now the agribusiness capital of Queensland, and, and your offices are based there and obviously on the Sunshine Coast. You've got staff in mm-hmm. all areas, but you cover all of Queensland and rural New we South cover Wales. All yeah, it, like, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's not an issue, and you are a phone call away. But the big thing that I like about it is that you, you're also linked with an accountancy firm, which is you're in the same office. So for that kind of advice, people might not want to, you know, they just want some advice. You can run those numbers with the accountancy firm. It comes back from there. It's a very, very clear and decisive model. Correct. Absolutely. Like we always make use of the accountants, whether the uh, whether the graziers and farmers are with the accountancy firm or not, it doesn't matter. We always make sure that we get the right advice for those uh, customers that we're doing finance for. So, mate, m- moving forward now, like I mean, obviously, synergy business finance. You, you, you're specialising in agribusiness. How do people yep. go about getting in contact with you? There'll be people listening today. And, and I'm, I'm just going to pluck a number. They, they want to buy a $12 million property. They've got a property. You know, they've had a good season. They're not sure whether or not they're getting the best rates or not. They're just not. And they want to look, what's the process? How do they get in contact with you? Well, look, we've got phone numbers, emails, but most importantly, we're also on a, on a website, which is probably the easiest way that people can look us up and get our, our details from there. So it's um, it's uh, synergybusinessfinance.com.au. Yeah. So synergybusinessfinance.com.au. Now, mm-hmm. people who don't know, Marcus Barnard has been at, 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 to the top of the tree in agribusiness in Queensland. And most people, and I say that listening to us today, have come across you, you've met them, you've done work, you've either played football, you know, you've been very heavily yeah. involved. And this is now a focus on him and a passion of his. Synergy Business Finance is uh, – now lending, they're mortgage brokers for the agribusiness sector, but they also obviously look at commercial and, and home finance and asset finance. And so it's not just all agri, but they're specialising in agribusiness, which is something that we've never had here or a service we haven't had. And I thought when we want to promote rural, we need to look at this. You all have had the story where you've had the bank manager, you build a relationship, they've known you, and then they get promoted or they move on or they go to another company and they just can't match what you do. And that relationship, you have to start again. Well, it doesn't happen anymore. You've got a one-stop shop. 
and he ain't going exactly. anywhere. He ain't going anywhere. Mate, I'm really proud of you. I think this is um, it's probably 10 years. Ten, you should have done it 10 years ago, but I understand, you know, like, you know, you want to make sure it's right. Um, synergyfinance.com.au, is that right? Synergybusinessfinance.com.au. Yeah. That's the website. And uh, we'll make sure we put that up on our website as well. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a wonderful situation. Can I just ask you a lot of doom and gloom? It, it's not as bad as everybody thinks. It will plateau at some point. This rate rise, absolutely. Like, well, look, this is only my perception. I think if it's there, may be another rate rise today. If it's not today, it'll probably be in a month's time. But then I think we will plateau for a while. And there's even speculation from a lot of uh, economists now that it will start to um, go back down next year. So, yeah. I mean, and, and there's not the heights of what we heard back, you know, when well, we were probably growing up then, but um, yeah. there's no 17 or 18%. It's still nowhere near that. But, yeah, I mean, things are always tough. It's one of the biggest uh, expenses in um, in agriculture these days, and it's um, any any percent saved is a, a good thing for the um, farmers and graziers. What an awesome business model that you've got, and, uh, mate, I, I think it's fantastic that you've been able to, to navigate your way through Um Offices located in Toowoomba and Maroochydore, Synergy Business Finance. Uh, Marcus Barnard, you know the name. Uh, we'll make sure, get in contact with him. And look, that's where you build relationships. And I, and even, you know, it's just worth a phone call. It's, that's as simple as that. It's worth a phone call. Appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Have a great Easter. Thanks, Ben. You too. Bye. Good on your rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. We'll take a break, come back with more on Tuesday morning, the 4th of April. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Tuesday morning, the 4th of April. Um, so much to get through this morning. It's my great pleasure um, to talk to the Head of Recruitment for the Brisbane Broncos. He, he's been involved in the pathways in recruiting all these young kids and obviously um, the development of the Brisbane Broncos and where they are now. His name is Simon Scanlon. He's been on the show this morning. And very rarely does he talk these days, but he's here on Rural Queensland today. Simon, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Morning, Dobbo. No problem at all. We see the Broncos and everybody's – I mean, I'm getting phone calls from mates last night who said just how good they're going. This just doesn't happen with the click of a finger. And I suppose um, I, I suppose when we, when we look at it and we think about it, we, we go, well – you know, it, 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 there's been some dry, dry roads, but this has been a plan in place um, for some time and, and, and finally it's starting to come to fruition. Yeah, the, the team's going well so far, Dobbo. We've played five games, but now it's 27-round competition and by no means are we counting our chickens at the moment. But the team's going well. Um, the pleasing thing is most of our team, you know, I think it's, I think it's 11 out of the 13 starting players are from our academy. So their homegrown players as such have come through our program and and you know, twenty out of the twenty eight in the top squad are. So um, you know, I think a number of years ago we had a lot of young players come into first grade pretty early, which those guys now are a bit hardened from that and a bit more experienced and um, um, you know, those guys now are, are some of the leaders with Paddy Carrigan and Payne Hass and they're doing a terrific job and the balance of the team's pretty good now. Adam Reynolds has had a, a great dimension to the team and so is Kurt Capel. So the dynamic of the team's quite good and they're, and they're getting some good results at the moment, which is great. The, the academy, and let's focus on that because it's such an important part and, and it probably doesn't get enough credit and you've been a part of it for some time. How does it work? And, and, and obviously with the Dolphins coming in, there is a bit of competition around the academy now, but Brisbane have always invested – 
in in young in the young kids. Um, they've always, whether or not they're a superstar or not. I mean, Paul Dyer and the, the game day development program, they're out at the schools every single day. And then you've got your academy where you guys have identified, and not every kid makes it. But gee whiz, you've put a lot of kids through this academy. Yeah, so the academy is designed for our, it's our own pathway program for players we've identified and, and more so work with and develop into give them the best chance to, to play rugby league um, at a higher level. So the game development staff, is a, there's a number of those guys, they do a terrific job of grassroots and coach education and development around competitions. But this one, the academy is one we, we don't promote. It's um, a program where we've got some staff who, we start identifying players at 13. They can come in and be contracted at 15, and um, it's a holistic program around the physical development, preparation, um, a lot around the mindset of you know of you know being a good person and working hard, and the simple things are the choices more so than um, valuing talent and um, trying to educate those players into into being better people and better players through the choices they make through the program. So it has worked well for us, Dobbo. Um, We've reduced a number of players for our club and other clubs because obviously they can't all stay at the Broncos. But numbers-wise, there's not big numbers in the academy. It average um, about 10 players per age group from 15 to, to 18 years of age. Um, 19, there's a drop-off down to probably four or five players. Um, but the staff do a wonderful job in there of getting those players educated and getting them ready to, to play at a high level. And, you know, we're trying to get those players and make good decisions on the ones that fit our club and then the other guys that go off and play elsewhere. We're happy for those guys to do that, but um, it, it's been a wonderful nursery for, for players at our club, for sure. As a bloke who identifies kids when they're young and you, you, you're at carnivals and you understand it and, and it's your passion, how rewarding when you see a Patrick Carrigan and a Payne Haas and and, and you see a Corey Pakes, the, you, these kids that you've known when they were young and you put them through your programs and then then they're out in the big stage. And, I mean, Patrick is, is a great example. I mean, you've always, and I was the first to admit it, I didn't think he was anywhere near where he was, but you have always said that he was an origin player. And, I mean, one of them, Wally Lewis medal, he arguably one of the best in the game at the moment. Yeah, it's... Um you know, junior footy can be hard. I mean, they're all mature at different ages. So, you know, we have a lot of uh, Pacific Island boys now um, in, in Brisbane and playing rugby league. Um, they're big, powerful athletes and mature pretty early, those boys. Um, so they're all mature at different rates. So junior footy can be a bit hard to navigate the landscape of, you know, what players are going to go through and have a chance of being at a high level. But... Um, you're looking for certain things and it doesn't change. You know, you're looking for guys who compete really hard. Um, there's going to be a certain amount of toughness to them, certain amount of athleticism to them, but you, you can make good decisions, Dobbo, and Rui Paddy Carrigan come in as an example. He's a 17-year-old. He was a later developer. He wasn't a standout kid through the juniors, but when he did come into our program, you know, no one worked harder. No one um, cared more. No one improved more. So it was a matter of time for Paddy. You know, he, he's, physically matured over the last few years to the point where he is now. And um, he's finally got to that point where Payne Haas was always dominant player coming through. So you're not looking for the same thing all the time. You're looking for good players and then you program them to put the polish on them to get them through to a high level. But it's rewarding to develop your own without a doubt. And the most rewarding part is for the guys that um, it helps change their life. You know, if some, some people through sure. rugby league haven't got the greatest – probably childhood some of those guys or opportunities from where they're from and there's some guys in our, 
with our squad for sure who rugby league helped change their life for the better. You know, they helped them get to pay their house off and get ahead in life and can benefit their family. So those are the ones that are most rewarding, but to produce your own players is really important as a club. Can I ask you this? Can you and, and step us through? I mean, we don't see the day-to-day negotiations and there's a salary cap and you can't keep every single player. And you, you've also got to judge and work out you can't go down the road where Brisbane were three years ago where they were delved of all their experience and then there was young kids playing who obviously were going to be good and they ended up with a wooden spoon. Brisbane just don't operate like that. You're about winning competitions and that's what you're on the, and that's been your focus from day one. How difficult is it um, when you, you know that you've got a, a Jesse Arthurs, a Dean Mariner coming through and you've also got Herbie Farmworth but you've got Contani Staggs and you just can't physically keep all those players you hear the, the, the noise is the Dolphins, they take Herbie Farmworth. But the bottom line is that there, there comes to a point where there has to be a responsible decision made financially um, and look like that. How difficult are those decisions? Because he was one of those kids that you identified when they were young. And you, as you just said, you can't keep every single one of them. But you lose those kids like Flegler and, and Farmworth because you're being responsible. That's difficult. You know, the, the easy thing is to, to pay the money and just keep them at the time and, you know, you don't get the headlines. So that, that's the easy decision, but the right decision is to be responsible with how much money you can pay. Um, it's really important to have young players coming below that. You know, Herbie Farnworth is plays for his country. He's one of the best centres in the game. But, you know, two, three years ago, um, Herbie is a young developing player himself. So as long as you've got someone coming behind that who can, can go into that role over the next couple of years and develop into a good player as well, you know, you, you can actually make those strong decisions by having a backup plan there. Now, yeah. might not be as good as Herbie initially, but the price isn't the same either, Dobbo. So it's balancing the, the ledger of what you can afford and what you can't. Um, if you try to keep everyone, you're going you're gonna to blow the bank pretty quickly. It's going to catch up with you. But um, I took over the, the NRL recruitment two years ago now, and we've changed over 23 players in two years, which is a lot. That's huge. Um, and you know, I think the only other club that's more has been the Bulldogs. Um, so we've had a big changeover. We feel like we've got the right players in the right positions now. And now it's a matter of keeping the key ones and you know the spine, which everyone talks about, you know, decision makers of, you know, your one, your six, your seven, and your nine. You know, that's where a lot of money gets funneled and our priority players, if you've got the right ones in your club. And, um, you know, a couple of middle forwards, you know, are really important, but you want to keep all of them. But the reality is if there's more money out there and you can't compete with it, you've got to be disciplined and back your system um, to produce another player. That's the big thing. Um, everybody's talking about Reese Walsh. It's no surprise to you. Uh, you've known the kid uh, since he was a boy. How exciting is he? And, and we've only just seen the drop of the ocean with him, haven't we? Yeah, Reese. Um, he's doing a great job so far this year and um, he's highly talented Reese, and he brings a lot of energy to the group he brings a dynamic of a young guy with enthusiasm who's you know highly talented but um, Reese is a beneficiary of a, a lot of other people in the team there yeah. who are doing their job really well which allows him to do the flashy stuff and look great um, you know, a lot of our forwards uh, work really really hard and the stuff they do allow our guys out wide who are you know great athletes and great players out wide I think you know we're 
we're one of the clubs who probably have a, a really one of the strongest probably outside backs at the moment in, in the competition. And yeah, no you know, when our forwards get it right, you know, it gives them a lot of opportunity to, to do what they do. But it, it comes down to everyone in the team doing their job and doing it well. That allows then people like Reese and the other guys to, and, to do their Katoni. job. Reese exciting one. Yeah, yeah. Katoni and Herbie and Selwyn and yeah. you know, even Corey Oates. He's a different style of winger, but he's a big, strong, powerful um, guy. And, you know, Corey's the beneficiary of all that as well. These young guys come in. He's injured at the moment, but he's got a new lease on life. And there's a really good feel around the, around the team. Um, as I said, you know, we, we're not looking, you know, to the oh. end of the season, we're looking week to week, and there's a lot of water going on the bridge, a lot of variables to happen with origin and injuries. And you now we've got a younger sort of team too, and they've got to be able to ride the, the emotion of it all. But um, at the moment, it, it, it's going well, and the focus is what we can do better from last week into what we can do well this week. And that's the big thing. Uh, we're talking with Simon Scanlon, head of recruitment uh, for the Brisbane Broncos. Um, I just want to touch on the, the, the country flavour as such. There is, I mean, you're a country boy, Simon. Um, yep. the, the, there is a real, if you look at Capewell, Charleville, you look at Selwyn, um, he, he, he's from Sherberg. Sherbrooke. You've got Katoni's from Wellington in New South Wales. Flegler's from Mareeba up in, uh, you know, Tully up. You know, there's a, 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 mate, Tiwi Island for Ezra Mam. Um, I mean, Renault's, you know, he's Redfern. Um, but Paddy Carrigan, Paddy born, Carrigan born in Gundawindi. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Pakes East to well, He's born in Brisbane. Yeah. He's born in Brisbane, but he's from, his family's from Gundawindi. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a real country element and rural. It's The Broncos aren't just Brisbane. They're all of Queensland. And and, and that is evident in your, you know, from John Rattle, who, you know, who, who's part of, your, part of the Broncos, but is playing club football. There's a lot of kids that you guys are developing into the Q Cup Um who are, it's a really big focus on you guys, and and people go, you, you, oh, you have to be in Brisbane to get seen by the Broncos. It's just not the case, it, and and it speaks of that side that you've got at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree. We um, we look everywhere for our junior program, and um, you know the players that get through the NRL aren't just the only players in the club. Um, so there's a lot of players from country areas, and you know there's a lot of advantages to you know, country kids by nature. Uh, you know they're, they're humble kids, they're hardworking no-nonsense, honest, you know, and, and, and they're great characteristics generally in young people and all, you know, in staff as well, Bobbo, you know, through our staff. You know, I grew up in Warwick. Um, Dave Ballard, who's had a performance, he's from Gatton. Um, um, we've got Matty Ballance from Kingaroy. Um, Kevin's from Ipswich, from that's country. Kevin's from Ipswich, <laughs> that's country, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's out of city uh, in a country. Um, but there is a real you know, country element to it, you know, like the, the, the Broncos. Yeah, and, and Wayne had that. Wayne instilled a lot of that when he was there. Um, can I yeah. just ask, and we really appreciate you giving us some time on Rural Coins today. Does, is the Dolphins a good thing for Brisbane? I think it is myself personally. I understand that you don't get the the run of every player now, and and that they're doing some things that probably in time will show that they've made some mistakes by really chasing these young kids with dollars. But long term, is it a good thing to have two teams in Brisbane? Well, I think you know, it's, I think it's good for rugby league. You look at the you know what's happened since they've come in, and they've been competitive in those first four games, which. Um, probably surprised some people, but it's been good for football. You know, we had a sellout um, yeah. just recently against against them, and um, you know, it's created a rivalry straight away. Um, so I think it's good for rugby league, and that's you look 
bigger than your own club sometimes and what's best for the competition because what's best for the game as a whole is going to be best for everyone long term. So, um, you know, from our end, we never had just a run of all of Brisbane or Queensland anyway. No. Every Sydney club's up here and recruits out of this region. They're another club in the region. So um, I think, you know, for us, anyone, any competition is going to be good competition for us because it's going to make us strive to be better. So, you know, for us, our focus is inside our club, um, not anyone else. And we try to do things better all the time and improve. Um, you know, they're going to have their own challenges and and et cetera, what they have. But, um, you know, it's a 17-team competition now. So we have 16 other teams we're competing against. Um, but I think, you know, for Brisbane as a, as a town as a whole, like they're supporters of the Broncos and there's people who don't like the Broncos and, you know, that gives them a team to support. And I think by looking at the support that's for rugby league in Brisbane now, particularly that game I just referred to, I yeah. think it is a good thing to about yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, appreciate your time, Simon. I really do. Um, and I know you don't do a lot of interviews, but um, Brisbane are flying at the moment. They take on Canberra on Saturday night. Then they they go into the, the Titans um, and look, yep. you know, a big run. It's a, a really challenging week. Parramatta into South into Manly. Then they've got Penrith and Melbourne, and then the Warriors. So we'll know a lot more with Brisbane. I think that they're, they're dead set. Of, they're a top four team, but where you guys are positioned after thirteen weeks with Origin and and as you said at the start, it's a young team and they're playing good football. But it's a long way to go, a long, long way to go. Um, and I think we just focus on the, the Canberra Raiders on Saturday night and if they get that win, will they keep on moving on. Appreciate your time, Simon. Thanks so much for being with us. Good on you, Dolby. Talk Thank soon. You. Thank you, mate. We'll take Bye. a break. Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, Jill Karana is from FRRR and the place portfolio lead. She joins us this morning after FRRR have awarded – $2,309,331 in grants to 176 community projects across remote, rural and regional Australia. I mean, it's part of their Strengthening Rural Communities program, but FRRR are literally at the forefront um, with what they're delivering. Jill, good morning, and thank you so much for being with us this morning. Good morning, Dan, and thanks for having me. Um, this is the largest round um, in record terms from both funding awarded and projects funded. I mean, 30 Queensland communities were lucky enough to be part of the 176 community projects. What an awesome story. It is an awesome story, but in a way, it's pretty scary as well because what it does is give us a really clear indication of the level of support that um, remote, rural and regional Australia is needing at the moment. Sure. And they're, they're really high demand for resources and recovery support. So let's talk about that. What, what, what were you looking for and what were some of the programs that came across from the communities that you guys obviously paid out? Yeah. So the beauty of this grant program is that it's very broad and we can support really any project that directly and clearly benefits the local area and people. So you can see how broad it is. And we really let the communities tell us what they need um, at that point in time. So the kinds of projects that we get range from um, if there's been an emerge, you know, a natural disaster, um, that we can provide recovery and resilience type projects, right through to projects that support um, improvement of community infrastructure to enable communities to get together and socialise. Um, it can be about events to bring people together, and particularly after COVID, we see that that's been a really important um, 
I guess, component of our granting program. And then there's the kind of ones that are a little bit left field, but things like uh, community uh, improving community radio, um, looking at volunteer organisations and how they can be strengthened and sort of grow to the next stage. Yeah. So, yeah, a really wide variety of projects. It's it's one of these things that when we look at, we go, well, we didn't know that there were so many um, challenges, but we, we're obviously aware all the time. Blackhall, Stanthorpe, Allara, Bullia, Bundaberg, Charters Towers, Clifton, Cowan, Emu Park, Gamary, Gordon Bank, Hillview, Innisvale, Mount Morgan, Mulgowrie, Mergen, uh, Paranga, Port Douglas, um, Postman's Ridge, Rainbow Beach, Rockhampton, Roma, Sapphire, uh, Tamarockham and Tully are all uh, recipients of this um, and community groups and FRRR obviously paying out everywhere. So the program was split into three stems, small, vital and vital, prepare and recover and rebuild regional communities um, with support um, from COVID. It played havoc in the regions, didn't it, COVID? And just with oh, what absolutely. it did for communities. And, and this kind of funding goes a long, long way. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a great partnership with the federal government, the, the um, uh, rebuilding regional communities. And essentially what we can do is fund what we call micro projects, which is up to 10000 and that's kind of very broad and just enables communities to do smaller activities like events or activities that bring the community together. And then we've got a larger stream that we offer twice a year up to 50000 and that, that's been really popular because there's actually not a lot of funding programs that fund that sort of you know ten to $50,000 range. Sure. And so it's allowed some communities to do a lot more substantial projects to really try and help their communities rebuild after COVID. And the one in Queensland that's a good example is the Boulia Camel Races um, Incorporated, which is looking to fund the development of a community facility to really try and, um, I guess, create opportunities for locals to come together, uh, to reignite tourism and stimulate the economy through one community facility that can do a whole lot of things. So that's a really great example of how a community's identified that as a way to kind of get them back on their feet and they're going for it. Yeah, what a great news story. Um, FRRR awarding 2309331 to 176 community projects across remote, rural and regional Australia as part of the Strengthening Rural Communities Program. Can we just get, once again, a snapshot for people listening? How do you go about applying for these? What's the process? Sure. So on our website, which is www.frrr.org.au, you can identify your project and it will help you sort out which is the best funding stream to apply for. And on the other side, we can actually uh, enable people who want to support our work with local communities to identify, uh, sorry, to donate um, to FRRR to be able to actually fund some of these community projects. And you can do that via the website as well. So just jump on um, or you can just give us a call because we're always happy to talk to you and try and see if we can support you somehow. Yeah, what a great thing uh, FRRR do. Um, Jill, we really appreciate your time. FRRR uh, Place Portfolio Lead, Jill Karana, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Great. Thanks for that, Dan. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin across Rural Queensland Today.
Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today on this Tuesday morning, the 4th of April. Have a great day, Queensland. And we're back tomorrow morning from 9am across rural Queensland today. Stay safe on the roads and remember when the wheat is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Ray Hadley to join you next. Till next time, from everyone here at rural Queensland today, stay safe and bye for now.